Dear friends, we're looking at Luke 11 in verses 33 through 36. Let's go ahead and read through that passage. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus begins this passage by talking about the purpose of light. We see that in verse 33 of Luke 11. It says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And this is a passage that we're going to have to pay particular attention to because you can become confused in this passage if you don't pay attention to how it is he's using the word light in each of the times when he uses it. But starting here in verse 33, he's talking about the purpose of light. Someone who lights a lamp, lights the lamp for the purpose of displaying light. How many of you would go and cover up a lamp in your household completely and then go and turn it on and waste the electricity whereby there is no light being displayed? It makes no sense to conceal a light source that you are creating. Someone is putting oil into a lamp at this time, and they are lighting it. Why waste the oil? Why cover the light? The purpose of the lamp is to create light. When you have a light, you are displaying it. You're using it so that you can see. But here's what I want you to see as we walk through this. This isn't just about light being produced. This is about light being received especially in this passage. Jesus is talking not about just light being produced, for the point is that light is everywhere. Light is all around you. But the problem that we have at times is that we don't rightly perceive the light. We are blinded to the light. Covering your eyes can have the exact same effect as covering up a lamp. Imagine that if I light a lamp and I cover it up, it will cover up the light. Well, if I cover up my eyes... I won't be able to see the light as well. So both of those can have a similar effect. And that's the idea that Jesus is going to be working with here. The fact that there is light all around the people that are there, but yet they are still walking in darkness. The problem is not a lack of light. Our problem as humans oftentimes is it's not a lack of evidence. It's just coming from the other direction there. It's concealing the light when you cover your eyes from the receptors of that light. There's two points I want us to pull out of this passage. The first one is that seeing comes through believing. Jesus is talking about the eyes being the lamp to the body, the eyes being the source through which this light is received. And if you have a spiritual blindness, you will not receive that light that is displayed all around you in the creation itself. Light that is displayed through the Word of God. Light that was being displayed at this time to the people in the first century as the Messiah was walking amongst them. 
This Messiah that was foretold early in the scriptures. This Messiah to whom all of the ceremonial law had pointed. He was there. He was doing exactly what the scriptures said he would do. He was doing exactly what the prophets of old said he would do. He was doing exactly what God said he would do. But people were blinded to this. We will see that seeing comes through believing. And secondly, we will see the distinction between authentic light and deceptive darkness. Authentic light and deceptive darkness. Because here's the reality is that there are those that are spiritually blind, but they don't recognize their spiritual blindness. They don't recognize their inability to see things right. They take the information before them and they interpret it through their own lens of understanding. So there's a great many who walk about believing that they are seeing that which is true or that which is light, believing that they are having an understanding of truth from God, but it's actually darkness. They're actually blind, but they are ignorant to this fact. Let's begin that first point there, verse 34. Seeing comes through believing. Luke 11 and verse 34. Your eye is the lamp to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Men many times believe that their, their, their greatest problem is, is outside of themselves. How many of you have looked at your lives that way? If only this would change over here, then my life would be in order. If only this person would stop doing this, and then this part would be in order here. That's, that's the view of, of, of modern psychology many times, is that you just need to adjust the things around yourself so that you can rightly exist but our big problem is actually inside of us. Our problem is within our heart, within our minds, within our understanding. And our problem with unbelief is not that which is outside of us. All right? This is the sad reality of this disposition. A disposition of unbelief influences what you see. A disposition of unbelief influences what you perceive. You will have the same information as someone else. You will have the same evidence as someone else. But you will interpret that evidence in a different way. There's many ways that we could apply this. But you will say that you, your disposition influences you, but it influences what you see. The two people seeing the same thing, looking at the same two pieces of information, will see that in different ways. Let's, let's apply this. Let's think of this directly within this context. The Pharisees and the scribes had the exact same information that the believers that were disciples did in the first century. Both of them saw Jesus heal people. Both of them heard the preaching of Jesus. They, they saw these miracles and they interpreted it through the lens of what they believed or didn't believe. The scribes and the Pharisees, in their unbelief, saw the miracles of Jesus. And you remember what they did? They said, he's doing this by way of Satan. He's doing this by way of Beelzebul. He, they, they said that this can't be of God. Why? Because he's not following their practices. They were so awestruck. They were so surprised that Jesus wouldn't follow their rules. 
that he wasn't following their, their fasting practices, a fasting on Monday and Thursday, as any good scribe and Pharisee would have done in the first century. There was nothing wrong with them doing that. They, they, it was just fine for them to choose to practice that on these days. It was just fine for someone to be a Pharisee and do those things. But they erred when they began to project their rules upon someone else. They began to project their requirements upon someone else. That's the sad reality of legalism. The sad reality of legalism is that the legalist then begins to look at God, looks, look at Jesus in his ministry and his work, find himself to be holier than Jesus, find his standards to be higher than that of God, to look, look at the Ten Commandments and then say, well… This is, this is too low. We need to raise this. Such a man doesn't understand those commandments. Such a man is diminishing the law of God and then creating his, his own law. But they had this evidence before them. They saw the miracles of Jesus. They heard the preaching of Jesus. But they did not believe. Some of them did. But for the most part, overwhelmingly, that group did not believe. Jesus speaks of this in, in John 3, beginning 1 through 3. He says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this is a man who ended up believing. This is a Pharisee that, that did end up believing but you see how Jesus deals with him. Jesus confronts him on his sin. Jesus confronts him on his insufficiency. Jesus tells him that you are insufficient. You need to be changed. You need to be made alive. You need to be brought to life. But some of them were dead in their unbelief, and they did not see their situation. They did not see the consequences of their actions. The disciples rather saw the works that Jesus did. The disciples heard the works that Jesus did. We'll keep Judas out of this, because I understand Judas is an anomaly amongst the disciples. But you look at the, the disciples, uh, ultimately the, the first apostles, and then the other disciples that were following along as well, they, they had the same information as the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, in some ways, we can say the scribes and Pharisees had even more information these were men who were very knowledgeable on the law of God. These were men who were very knowledgeable on what it is that the Scripture said the Messiah would do. And they could check off the boxes and say, yes, he's doing these things, but yet he's not doing these things over here that we would like him to do. He's not completely separating himself from those who need him. He's not separating himself from sinners that are repentant. But they saw the work. These disciples did. They saw the miracles. They, they heard his teaching, and they interpreted it rightly. They saw him as the Messiah. They saw him as Lord. This is a point that we've made earlier in the book of Luke, but that is the reality, that seeing comes through believing. You do not see rightly until you believe rightly, because what it is you believe interprets how it is you interpret what you see. Many times people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But in spiritual ways, with a spiritual understanding, what it is that you believe 
is affected. What it is as you see is affected by what it is that you believe. That's his point there in verse 34 of Luke 11. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Again, we've got to be mindful as we're walking through this that we use the word light, we interpret the word light in the way in which Jesus is using it here. It is used in many, many ways in the Scriptures. And so there's a lot of other places where light is used in the Scripture where I could project it into this passage. And that's a place where I found many people began to walk into errors. Jesus is saying something very, very simple here. He's beginning by saying, light is important. Light exists for this reason. This is how you should respond to light. And now he's talking about your interpretation of light or the light that you have within you and how it is, how it exists through your perception of that light that is around you. So your disposition influences what you see. That's what we're saying here. It's not a matter of a, a lack of evidence. There wasn't a lack of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah in the first century. It wasn't a, a, a lack of evidence of the Old Testament speaking of what he would do uh, that wasn't being displayed during this time. It was a matter of their perception. Their perception of this evidence, their perception of this light is what was being affected. Imagine this. If, if someone is, imagine someone is completely deaf. They're unable to hear anything at all. Okay. Would it matter if they said, well, look, just turn, turn up the radio even more. Remove the fact that perhaps you could feel the vibrations in your body, but as far as your ears working, it wouldn't matter. The problem with that person is not that the music isn't loud enough, okay? The fact is that they don't have the ability to rightly perceive that information. The same thing if someone was completely blind. Imagine they, they could see nothing at all, no shadows, no light whatsoever. It wouldn't matter that you just turned up the light even brighter. That's not going to cause them to interpret what it is that is around them. This is a famous one. Imagine when you don't know a language, or let's be honest, you're speaking to someone who doesn't speak the same language as you. What do we do in that situation? When someone doesn't speak the same language as us, well, we start speaking slower. Now, that doesn't work. So I'll start speaking louder. That doesn't work either. The problem is not the rapidity of my speech. The problem is not the volume of my speech. The problem is the other person doesn't speak the same language. Now, there was a few years ago that we had uh, many of you uh, that are here, or some of you that are here may have taken in some of these people. There were some foreign exchange students that came in. I think they were from Ukraine. And at least the person that stayed at our house was from Ukraine. It was one of the chaperones. And uh, her name was, uh, her name was, was Olga. And we offered to take, sure, we'll take her in. We'll, we'll host her. We were glad to have her in. And, and nobody told us that she didn't speak English. And it wasn't until that evening that she showed up to our house and began to speak to us that we had no ability to communicate with her at all. She began to walk around saying that she needed a poom poom. And she began to say it slower. She said it louder. She used hand motions. It looked like she was trying to plug something in, so I'm pointing at the plug in the wall. She's telling me no. She made some phone calls and realized, no, that actually is the plug. Apparently in Ukraine they have different plugs 
than we do here, so she didn't recognize it. And it's at this time that we first got acquainted with what is used very often now, which is Google Translate. It was early in its days, but it worked really effectively. Um, even with its insufficiencies, something like that, when you don't speak that language at all, it is very, very helpful. And my kids and my family got to know her very well through Google Translate. We never were able to speak to one another in the same language, but we were able to translate those languages. And the reality was we just didn't speak the same language as her. It wasn't a matter of volume. It wasn't a matter of how much was, how, how quickly or slowly it was being said. We did not have the ability to perceive what it is that she was saying. Psalm 18 and verse 28 says this, for it is you who light my lamp, for the Lord my God lightens my darkness. And that is a, this picture of God who who gives us light, who gives us the ability to interpret life rightly, to understand ourselves rightly, to understand the world around us rightly, to understand what it is that God requires of us and who it is that God is. But what good is that lamp if you cannot see? What good is that lamp if you are blind spiritually to these truths? Your eyes must be opened. You must have right and good spiritual understanding. The light is all around you. There is light around you that you do not even realize at this point. Christian, is that not true? Do you not realize as you study God's Word that you grow in a greater and richer and deeper understanding? You know of things that you did not know previously. Those things existed prior to you recognizing it. They didn't come into existence when you began to study these things. But when you're blind to something and you don't see those things, you're ignorant to them. You don't have the ability to perceive them. The light is all around you, dear friends, but your disposition toward God, your disposition toward that light influences your ability to see, recognize, and respond to these truths. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, in verses 13 and 14, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Even Paul here, in interacting with this idea of light and how light exposes things, communicates this idea that one who is dead, one who is asleep, one who does not have spiritual understanding, is not interacting with these things rightly, is not responding to them rightly. There must be an awakening. You must, you must respond to these things. There, there must be a change that happens to you. Geldenhus makes this point. He says, if there is darkness in our spiritual life, this is never the fault of the light of the gospel. For this light shines in full glory and power. It is man's wrong inner nature, unbelief, worldly-mindedness, and other sins that prevents the light of Christ from irradiating and renewing his life. What a tragedy that so many are struggling in darkness where the gospel light is there all the time to make everything in their life bright and beautiful. As soon as man opens his life to Christ in faith, his glorious light streams in. That seeing comes through believing. Believing what God has said. Believing what God has said about you and about Christ. The Bible says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That is the sad reality. Sin has affected every single 
aspect of your existence is affected those that you love, those that you care for. It has affected those that have come before you. It will affect those that have come after you. And your disposition toward this knowledge affects your ability to understand it. If you walk in your own self-righteousness, you will interpret it merely as that which has happened to you, not recognizing what you are contributing. You will see your errors and try to justify them through your own actions by comparing yourself with other people. That's the sad reality of this disposition. That's the sad reality of the disposition of unbelief. Your disposition influences what you see. There must be a change. There must be a change that you can rightly understand and see this reality. People will say, look, I just don't see evidence for God. There's not enough evidence in the world that there is even a God or that, that God exists. But the reality is we are all looking at the same evidence. It's how it is that evidence is interpreted. It's how it is that you respond to that evidence. There is enough evidence in the world to condemn each and every one of us. There is enough evidence to condemn you in your sins. Paul talks of this, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Consider what he is saying here. Paul is talking about general revelation, that you can look around you and see evidence of God. You can see evidence of an eternal, righteous, and holy God in all that has been made. You were designed by God to have that perception, to see the evidence of God. Now, you've been affected by sin, and it has damaged what it is that you, how it is that you interpret these things. But the reality is the evidence is all around you. There is evidence all around you of the law of God, of God's perfect law, of God's moral law. You don't need the Bible. You don't need the Bible to tell you that stealing is wrong. Have you thought of that, dear friends? You don't need the Bible to tell you that stealing from someone else is wrong. You know that it's wrong even without the Bible. The Bible tells you stealing is wrong, but you already know stealing is wrong. You don't want someone to steal from you. You don't want someone to take that which you own, that which is put under your stewardship, that which you have rightly gained through your labor. You don't want someone to take that from you. You know that adultery is wrong. You don't want someone to commit adultery on you. You know that lying is wrong. You don't want someone to lie to you. One of the ways in which you can think about how it is I should respond to someone in this situation or how it is I should act, so oftentimes it's as simple as just imagine, well, how would I want someone to treat me in that particular situation. That's the reality of general revelation. But God has given a special revelation whereby we can know how it is that we can be saved. That's what Christ came to do. Christ came to, to give the light, to, 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 to show to them the way through which they can be saved, 
to show them the highness of God's law, the greatness of God's law, the way in which they fell short of God's law. That was the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount isn't designed just to be some little quotes that you put on the calendar and you read in the morning. He is unpacking the moral law of God in such a way that no one can walk away and say, I got this. I'm good with this. But Christ came that you can have life and have it abundantly. But your interpretation of Christ and His work, your interpretation even of that light that is around you, that, those, the, those, that evidence that is around you is affected by how you perceive it, is affected by your spiritual state. MacArthur says this, he says, the problem was not a lack of light, but a lack of sight. It's not a lack of light, it's a lack of sight. MacArthur continues, the Lord Jesus Christ had for all intents and purposes flooded Israel with the truth concerning His deity and Messiahship. His miracles further demonstrated His divine and absolute mastery over death, the forces of hell, and the physical world. But having seen all of those miraculous works and how they pointed unmistakably to Jesus' deity, the religious leaders, along with the majority of the Jewish people, rejected them. That is the sad state of natural man. That, that you can have the glorious Messiah standing before you, the one who from early in Scripture was, was, was prophesied to come, that the Lord said that a child of the woman would crumb and crush the head of the serpent, and he is one born of Mary. He is the one who had came to bear the sins of his people, and he is there amongst them. And they're angry with him. They're despising him. They're dismissing his miraculous work. Well, that is the depth of the, the, the effects of sin upon man. That his effects are even, not even to recognize the maker. As John speaks of Jesus at the beginning of John, in the beginning was, wor- was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say that all things came into being through him. In John 1 and verse 3. Nothing has come into being that was not created by Jesus. That is Christ. He is the one that is there before them, and they recognize not even their maker. Secondly, we see this. We see authentic light and deceptive darkness. You need to pay attention with the use of light in these, in these two verses here because it's used a little differently in, in, in the previous ones. But authentic light and deceptive darkness darkness. Luke eleven thirty five and 36. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be fully bright. And when the lamp with its rays gives you light. So let's start there with verse 35. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Okay. What he's referring to here is what someone believes to be light, okay? It's not using light in the same way in each of these. It's that light that you believe to be true. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to self-righteous people. He's referring to what people believe to be light within them, similar to the way we've seen him speak at other times. If you're not careful with what Jesus says, you don't pay attention to the context, and you don't allow other, you know, doctrines to influence what he's saying, then you will walk away with a misunderstanding. Let's think about Luke 5, 30 and 32. 
He says, why do you eat and drink with, they say to him, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are, um, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there are some that read this passage, and they think that, look, the leaders, the Pharisees, they didn't need Jesus, okay? They were already righteous. They were already good. They were practicing the, you know, the, the, the ceremonies there in the, with the temple, and so they were good, and they were righteous, but Jesus was coming here to these tax collectors and sinners who were outside and were being cut off so that they would have a means whereby of being saved, that is a distortion of what Jesus is saying because he is going to call the Pharisees um, sons of hell. He is going to say all kinds of things about them which demonstrates that they are not righteous. One of Jesus' points to them is that they are not righteous, that they're lowering the law of God, they're creating their own standard, they're not keeping God's law, and they're deeming themselves to be righteous. And he's saying that that tax collector that sees a sin and repents and turns to Christ is more righteous than these Pharisees that have their own rules and laws. So Jesus here, when he's saying, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, he's talking about those who believe themselves to be righteous. He has not come to call those that think they're righteous. He's not come to call those that think they're good on their own. Someone who thinks they're righteous on their own without Christ has no need of Jesus. One of the first things that they need to realize is that they need Christ. Christ is useless to you if you are self-righteous. Christ is useless to you if you are a, a legalist. You end up looking at Jesus and thinking, you know, he could have done a little better here. He could have done this or, or he could have done that. It's the picture that's being painted here. These are people who are walking headlong in particular sins, and they are, they are continuing to walk in that direction. Look at it this way. There's many religions in this world. There's many people that are religious. You even hear people talk that way sometimes. They say, look, I believe, uh, I, I, I believe I want to have a relationship with God, but I don't want to be, you know, religious. I don't want to be too strict on these things. Uh, they talk in very spiritualistic ways. People who are uh, into New Age ideas, those who are practicing Hinduism, Mormonism, even Word of Faith theology, each and every one of these, I could walk down a list of various religions and religious beliefs, and these are people who believe they are walking in light. They believe they're walking in truth. We preached through the book of 1 John, and 1 John was dealing with people, or dealing, he was instructing the church on dealing with people who believe they were walking in the light. They believe that, okay, well, you have this gospel here, you have what Jesus taught, but then you have this higher understanding of what we have here. You have these Gnostic beliefs, and that's how you really get a really good idea of how it is to be a Christian, how you can really be a good, solid Christian some of the word faith teaching will get into some of these Gnostic ideas, but they believe that that was light. That's what Jesus is dealing with here. That's what he's talking about, that, 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 that light in you not be darkness. He's dealing with this idea of that which you think is within you, that which you perceive in your religion to be truth, that it not be dark. Because no one's walking around saying, yeah, what I believe is a total lie. Those that are walking around in false religions believe that what they're doing is true. Paul speaks of some of these things. He talks of doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, 
Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons. Well, those that were doing this weren't saying, like, I'm practicing a doctrine of demon. They weren't saying, like, look, I'm being deceived here. What they believed they were doing is practicing truth. They believed they were practicing walking in the light. Paul says this, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 in verses 12 through 15, it says, And what I am doing, I continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their, in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false prophets. Notice what he's saying there, that these men are claiming to work in the same way in which he's working. They're claiming to be Christians But he says this about them, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So these are men who believe they're walking in light. Satan is disguising himself as an angel of light, which you should be mindful of that. When someone says, oh yeah, an angel came and spoke to me, an angel, how many cults have been started because supposedly an angel came and spoke to someone? In the words of Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11, you should not be surprised if that happens. If they're speaking contrary to what the Word of God says, it is clear that this is from Satan. He is displaying himself as one who is an angel of light. Those that are walking in darkness many times believe they're walking in light. They believe that what they're doing is good. Yes, there are those who are walking in particular sins and have a general understanding of Christianity and recognize that they're breaking God's law. You would have had in this first century those such as the, the, uh, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. They were recognizing, okay, what I'm doing here is wrong. This is a sinful behavior. But Jesus here is dealing with the the self-righteous, the self-righteous that believes that he is walking in light, believes that their standard of morality, which is below that of God's standard of morality, is sufficient, that they are just and they are good. Those Pharisees believed they were walking in light, but they were walking in self-righteousness. They were people who were deceived They believed that their standard was light, but it was not. They were blinded to the truth, and that which they believed to be light within them was actually darkness. And this is the warning that Jesus is giving. This is a warning to each and every self-righteous person. Be careful that what you believe is actually light and not darkness. It's the Word of God that must be the standard of this. It's the Word of God whereby we must make this determination. There is plenty of light all around, but the self-righteous person will walk in darkness. He will interpret even Scriptures contrary to the context in which they are written. How many of you have have talked with someone who is in a religion of of self-righteousness? All of them end up being that way. And they can even read a passage of Scripture and turn that passage of Scripture on its head, divorcing it from its context to go and squeeze it into the mold of their self-righteous religion. Now, there's plenty of light all around, but the self-righteous person would rather walk in darkness. 
Jesus says this in John 3, beginning in verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. One of the reasons why people many times continue to walk in their sins, refuse to turn to Christ and trust in Him, is because there are particular sins that they love, that they desire, that they want to continue walking in. They desire not to repent of those, not to turn from those and turn to Christ. They want to continue to believe they can control their sin, to manage their sin. And it's darkness. It is deceitful. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We see the same picture again. Paul's communicating the same idea that Jesus is talking about in this passage, that the light is there. There's not a lack of light, but it is a perception of those in seeing the light. There is a blindedness that is happening because of the work of Satan, because of the work of those that continue to walk in this, and it's affecting their perception of this light. But see this warning, dear friends. Be mindful of this. Self-righteousness is is burdensome. Self-righteousness is destructive to you and to those around you. It offers you no hope whatsoever. It offers you no atonement for sin. It offers you no solution for the sin that is within you. All the while, it blinds you into believing that you have all of those things. But it offers nothing whatsoever. Self-righteousness is burdensome. Look at verse 36 of Luke 11. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. And when the lamp, and when a lamp with its rays gives you light. That is the the reality there, the beauty there, then rightly seeing the light, and your eyes being right and perceiving the light rightly, it will affect your whole body. It will affect your whole life. The gospel will influence every aspect of your existence. You will have salvation by grace and through faith. The Lord will work within you for good works which He prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. It will influence your relationships. Entire cultures have been changed because of the work of the gospel. But the opposite of that is also true apart from rightly perceiving the light, rightly responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be negatively affected. You will continue to walk and to stay in your sin, and the self-righteousness will leave you miserable. It will leave you hopeless. That is every other religion in the world apart from Christianity. You are like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress prior to his conversion when he carried the great weight upon his back. Remember that great allegory by John Bunyan of Christian prior to coming to the cross as he bore the burden of his sin. He bore the burden of his, of his guilt as it weighed upon him. It weighed him down. It made it difficult for him to move and to walk. Think of someone like Martin Luther as the guilt weighed upon him as he, as he worked within the, the Roman Catholic legalism of just do some more Hail Marys and do some more penance and do this deed and go and see this relic. And it tore him apart. And as he studied God's Word, 
As, as he studied the book of Romans, he began to see the greatness of God's law. He began to see his, his hopelessness. And it is said that he was driving his confessor crazy. He was continually going back trying to confess this sin and that sin. And they were telling him, just, just chill out. Just stop. You, you're taking this too seriously. But his eyes were being opened. He was seeing God's law. He was seeing the ways in which he did not fulfill that law. He was seeing the greatness of the weight of the condemnation that was over him. He was seeing the hopelessness of the self-righteous religion that he was practicing. And it was offering him no solution for the guilt that he experienced. His disposition was changing. It was, he, was, he was beginning to see the highness of God's law. He was beginning to see the ways in which he fell short and how he needed the grace of God that comes through Christ alone. Dear friends, where, where are you? Where, where is your disposition? Where are you in regard to such light? Are you blinded by self-righteousness? Are you blinded in, in, in this excuse and that excuse? Well, if maybe this person had done this different, or maybe if that person had done this different, and you're walking in this, this regret of what others have done, or you're walking in a, a self-righteousness of comparing yourself with other people, this disposition of rightness through your own actions, you know it yourself. This is burdensome. This is weighing you down. This is weighing you down even in how you're viewing others. And the critical spirit that is weighing you down where, where you are distracted even by some imperfection in someone else or some way that you have something straight that someone else doesn't and you, you can't even think things through. That inner attitude, that disposition affects you even in seeing the grace that is provided in Christ Jesus. Gildenhus makes this point. When an inner man's attitude or disposition is pure and right towards God, then the light of the gospel of Christ, of the salvation revealed through Jesus, shines brightly in his heart and life. And he is then walking in the light and sees Christ as Lord and Redeemer. Your friends, where is your disposition? Are, are you seeing yourself rightly? Or are you adversarial to the gospel? Are you adversarial to, toward the grace that God offers? See your need. See the necessity that is there. The self-righteousness is, is blinding. You will interpret the deeds of others through this lens. You will interpret your own deeds through that lens. You will hear the law of God, and it will trouble you. It will disrupt you. It will distract you. And you say, well, that's for those people. That's for other people that are not like me. It will distort even your ability to in, interpret instruction that is being given to you. It's the reality of self-righteousness. These Jews had all the evidence that they needed. Those that were before Christ at this time had everything. They had more evidence than probably anyone else in history. They had the fullness of the ceremonial law before them. They had the very Messiah before them doing miracles. And yet they love their sin more than they love God. Please see the necessity. Please see the requirement that is there. Please see the requirement of seeing your lowness and your need of Christ. Paul makes this point in 2 Corinthians 4 in verses 5 and 6. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Christ's sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the great recreation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. We saw that at the very beginning. But God, in awakening a sinner to life, in bringing someone to faith in Jesus Christ, is not bringing something into existence from nothing. He's taking that which is damaged, destroyed, and worthless, and He is breathing life into it. He's shining light into the darkness and bringing light there. And the light that you see at that point will be distinct from the darkness that you walked in previously. That is the glory and beauty of what Christ will do. That is the blessing of what Christ will give to all who will come to Him. The gift is free. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. See this reality. That seeing comes through believing. You will never see yourself rightly until you see Christ rightly. You will never understand the greatness and the seriousness of your sin until you see the glory of Christ in His crucifixion. You will never see the seriousness of sin until you see God's response to sin on the cross with Christ Jesus. But God has made a way whereby you can have salvation, where you can have hope. It lies in Christ alone. Christ fulfilled the law in every way. He never broke it, not even once. And Christ took upon Himself the fullness of the wrath of God. Whoever believes upon Him will be saved. The grace is available to you, dear friend, if you would but turn to Christ, if you would but believe upon Him, repent upon your sins and trust in Him, and He will give you life. And that light that Christ speaks of will shine in your heart and affect every aspect of your life. Let's pray.